want to thank Sarah for the title of this sermon. It usually goes the other way around that I have an idea for a topic and worship associates jump on the ones that interest them. But I asked worship associates for their, um, for their ideas uh, several months ago and Sarah shared that incident with her friend and I thought both the incident and the title were, were ones that we needed to have in the service. And I also want to take a little um, time machine back more than three years to when I was a kid and there were daytime talk shows. I don't know if they were new then. It's when I first started noticing them. People on the stage telling their problems and seeking advice from the likes of Phil Donahue. And then Phil would trot up and down the aisles with his microphone to give the audience a chance to weigh in. And gradually, as these shows proliferated, it seemed as if the problems got more unusual. The people on stage got more desperate. The songwriter, Mark Knopfler, compared the phenomenon to the old-time freak shows, when so-called freaks, which were just people with unusual physical abilities or, or characteristics, would, from poverty and desperation, display themselves or be displayed against their will in the sideshows of carnivals. The old-time barkers shouted, these are Knopfler's words, Keep, see the pig-faced man and the monkey girl. Come see the big fat lady. Gator Slim with his alligator skin. Come see the devil baby. Now, he wrote, we had Jerry Springer. <laughs> Springer is the talker. He's got the whole studio eating out of his hand. You can be on too with the nuts and the geeks. Call 1-800-I'M-A-FREAK. I think he was right, because as people with their problems were paraded across the stage, the audiences got meaner. Like they didn't see the humanity of the people up there. They asked insulting questions. They hooted, they booed. And it seemed like in the meantime, the country outside the television studio and the audiences there on their living room couches was also getting more callous and more cruel. Like the government programs that had been created to keep elders out of poverty and make sure the children of poor people did not go hungry were under attack. The fictional corporate raider from the 80s movie Wall Street, Gordon Gecko, who said greed is good, started to be hard to distinguish from the actual 1980s corporate raiders, like Carl Icahn and the insider traders causing their damage, like Michael Milken. The tax system was overhauled to make sure that the rich and lucky could get more and more, while the people who had some kind of misfortune were more and more likely to spiral down into disaster. And all the time, these shows and the increasing mood of the country was that they deserved that. The poor, the unfortunate, they were just freaks. The worst impulses of humanity, to grab tight to what we have, to dehumanize others, to excuse our own greed, were playing out both on television and our, in our politics, our economy. And then reality TV was the next to blossom. I mean, by blossom, I mean like algae in a polluted ocean. <laughs> and with satisfaction, the reality TV audience hooted at the person who declared the weakest link and cheered to see people voted off the island. And then a multiply bankrupt casino owner 
renewed his own position from its slide into obscurity by hosting a show where only one person could make it and everyone else was dragged before the executive desk to be told, you're fired. And now he's the most powerful man in the world. It seems like we have been feeding our meanness and starving our kindness for a long time. Countering that tendency has been a movement to specifically encourage kindness. Remember when the bumper stickers started showing up? Practice random acts of kindness. And if you Google that phrase, you'll see example after example on the internet, helping people to think about ways they can reach out in kindness to people from complete strangers to somebody they know well. I'll read you a few. Say hello. Thank you to someone you cross today. You come across today. Hold the door open for someone else. Pick up the trash you come across on your daily walk. Hand a glass of iced tea to the mailman if it's a hot day. Offer to help bag and carry out the groceries for the elder shopper in line with you at the grocery store. Help the young boy in your neighborhood study for his big math test. Offer to run an errand for a sick neighbor or stop by with some pre-made meals. We do a lot of that here in this congregation. Offer to babysit for your friends with their little kids friends haven't been out on a date in months. Now, I didn't find statistics on how much an act of kindness or consideration or affection affects the receiver. I didn't look for them, actually, because we don't need them. Those of us who have been in the position of Sarah's friend, and who has not, we know what a difference it makes when somebody is unexpectedly friendly or goes out of their way to help us out, especially when, unbeknownst to them, we're just having a really bad time, a bad day, a bad patch in our lives. Sometimes that's exactly what we need to just keep us connected to what's good in life. So I don't know how much, um, how much these things affect the people who get a friendly hello or, or a, you know, help carrying their groceries out, but there is lots of research on whether these acts of kindness affect the giver. Do they? Oh, yes. And while it's true that true kindness does not seek return, as uh, Valovar says when we heard at our chalice lighting, the fact is that it brings its own rewards, and it's worth hearing something about what those are. So um, there's one um, researcher in particular who focuses on happiness, um, but whose work intersects frequently with this issue of acts of kindness. Her name is Sonia um, Lyubomirsky um, at UC Riverside. She was part of a team that did this study uh, that they titled Kindness Counts. And they re did research with um, pro-social, asking for pro-social behaviors, reaching out in particular acts of, of kindness from uh, pre-adolescents, people around 11, 12 years old. Our study demonstrates, they concluded, that doing good for others benefits the givers, earning them not only improved well-being, but also popularity. Considering the importance of these two things, happiness and peer acceptance in youth, it is noteworthy that we succeeded in increasing both among pre-adolescents, both among pre-adolescents, through a simple pro-social pro activity. This is interesting. We all know that it's nice to be happy and well-liked by your classmates, but being well-liked by classmates also has ramifications not only for the individual, but also for the community at large. For example, 
the pre-adolescents who were well-liked exhibited more inclusive behaviors and less behaviors such as bullying as teens. They did less bullying of other people. And thus, encouraging such activities may have ripple, act, ripple effects beyond increasing the happiness and the popularity of the doers. Furthermore, uh, classrooms with an even distribution of popularity, not you know, favorite kids and marginalized kids, show better average mental health than stratified classrooms, suggesting that entire classrooms practicing so pro-social behavior may reap benefits as the liking of all classmates soars. So this is very interesting in its connections to happiness, which in itself has a lot of value. Happiness has a lot of value because we want to be happy. It's just a value that we have, um, that we aim for, for the most part. It's been the stuff of ex exploration by philosophers and proto-psychologists literally for thousands of years. And it's now known to actually have an effect on our, not only on our mental health, but on our physical health. But happiness is a really tricky thing. Because human beings have a tremendous capacity to adjust to whatever state of mind, whatever state of being we have or find ourselves in. And this is particularly true of happiness. After a happy change, a big change, like getting a job that we have really, really wanted, or getting into a relationship that, that, we have, that is making us extremely happy, According to self-report, it is not long before we revert to the same level of happiness as we were in beforehand. And you can observe of somebody, oh my gosh, she used to complain about her job all the time, and now she's in this job she really likes, she's clearly happier, and yet she will report being at the same level of happiness. It's as if happiness is a drug to which we acquire a tolerance, um, so that even though our lives are objectively better, we don't feel happier. There is a term for this in psychological literature, hedonic adaptation. Hedonic, like the word hedonism, meaning pleasure. Um, and uh, Lubomirsky does a lot of research on exactly the question of how to thwart hedonic adaptation. Because it has such powerful implications, not only for our own lives, our own sense of our well-being, but for our communities, our country, the planet, if we are always needing more experiences of happiness in order to keep up that same level. For example, people get bored in their marriages. People get bored with their jobs that have not really changed. It's just we get used to the happiness. So one of the things we do is look for novelty. We may cause disruption in our lives that isn't going to last us very long. Until the, only until the next novelty wears off, because novelty helps thwart hedonic adaptation. So are there other ways of doing that? By the way, people have been thinking about this for a very long time. Jean-Jacques Rousseau wrote in 1754 about conveniences of his time. See if this has any resonance for you. Since these conveniences, by becoming habitual, had almost entirely ceased to be enjoyable, and at the same time degenerated into true needs, it became much more cruel to be deprived of them 
than to possess them was sweet. And men were unhappy to lose them without being happy to possess them. I think maybe I should stick that on my dishwasher for the next time it acts up. <laughs> yes, it does act up sometimes, but aren't I lucky to have one? Can't I remember what it was like not to have one? Well, not so well. As I say, this has really important implications, which is why I love the fact that she studies this. She's not just interested in helping people get ha be happy. If, if we were just trying to be happy, we would just keep buying and spending and going from partner to partner and leaving our jobs that had gotten boring and all that kind of stuff. She wants to know, really, how do we make, if, if happiness is a, is a good, is something valuable, how do we actually thwart that hedonic adaptation? Because, you know, it'll affect our ongoing sense of well-being if we stop being happy about things that made us happy. It affects our economy, where growing inequality is fueled in part by the need for those of us with plenty to have yet more. We see it in our political crisis, in which people who already have all the money a person could spend in many lifetimes seem to have manipulated our system, corrupted our democracy for no reason other than to have yet more. Vladimir Putin was one of the three richest people in the world. But then, due to US sanctions and the sanctions of other countries, he lost access to some of his offshore accounts. He has single-mindedly pursued the reversal of sanctions ever since, apparently with disastrous effects on our own country. And of course, we see the effects in our environment, where we're using resources faster than the Earth can replace them where the atmosphere can dispose of our waste, where our bottomless need for palm oil, once a convenience, now a need, as Rousseau said, is driving the orangutan to extinction, our insatiable need for products made of plastic, which nobody knew about 150 years ago, or wrapped in plastic, has microplastics showing up across the seafloor, throughout the waters of the oceans, and on every beach worldwide. I think a little here about, um, I did not know that Susan was going to share that anecdote, that, uh, that parable about the babies. But it's clear to me that happiness is addressing the ills at both levels. Both, can we, can we heal the harm that people experience right now? And can we address the roots of the harm? Imagine if we knew how to make happiness last the harms we would stop creating. Okay, so back to kindness. Do acts of kindness make happiness last? Well, we do know that our actions have a much stronger effect on our happiness than our circumstances. Actions are better in general than circumstances. So here again, there's a study, this time of college students, um, who were broken up into groups, one who reported on circumstances that had changed to make them happier, and another on activities that they had engaged in that made them happier. So examples of circumstantial changes included, my roommate at the beginning of the semester was a cocaine addict. She is no longer my roommate. What do you know? Now I'm happier. <laughs> this week I found, these are real, so I mean, I'm really sorry. I hope the roommate's doing better. This week I found out that I received a scholarship that I wasn't expecting at all. My mother was recently diagnosed with brain cancer, and a couple of days ago, a surgery was performed and everything turned out fine. So these are all circumstances that, that obviously make people happier than they were before. 
And then examples the students gave of their activity changes were things like, when I first got here, my classes seemed really hard and I didn't study as much as I should have. I set myself a goal to study for at least five hours a day and my classes are going a lot better now. Um, I used to not ever go to church, but now I'm going to Campus Crusade for Christ, which is a evangelical college thing. Um, and you know, I'm feeling much happier. I've started lifting weights four or five days a week. Um, so the activities also increased people's happiness. Um, but the changes from the activities stuck a lot longer than the change in happiness from the circumstances. So I think about the value of doing kind things for other people. Of course, that's absolutely true. When somebody does something kind for us, that makes us feel better. Sometimes it has a real material effect on our lives. But just that momentary boost of somebody doing something kind for us, that affects our circumstances. It feels good, but that pleasure is very vulnerable to hedonic adaptation. But when we do something kind for someone else, that's an activity. And maybe, like lifting weights, or going to your church meetings, it creates happiness that has more staying power than the happiness from a change in circumstances. And this does, in fact, appear to be true, based on the research of uh, Dr. Yogamirsky and others. She's, uh, they've got a report called, Do Unto Others or Treat Yourself. Looking at the, um, the frequent recommendation um, that when you're having a bad day, say, you know, you do something nice for yourself. Get a massage, get a manicure, have a nice meal, you know, eat that chocolate bar. Um, all those things are, you know, can be totally fine and they do make you feel better for a while. Um, but substantial evidence suggests that what consistently makes people happy is focusing pro-socially on others. And so, they conclude that people striving for happiness may be tempted to treat themselves. Our results, however, suggest that they may be more successful if they opt to treat someone else instead. Literally, buying that chocolate bar for someone else will make you happier than eating it yourself. Wow, that's, I mean, that's a lot for me as a chocolate addict to wrap my mind around. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna try it and see how it works. So this has been tried out in much less um, scientific settings as well. There's a teacher named Justin Parmenter, a seventh grade teacher, who decided to um, challenge his students. Okay, these are seventh grade students. Did anybody like being or being among seventh graders? I put my hands down. I don't know. There must be exceptions, but boy, for me, that was the absolute pit of my life. Anyway. <laughs> Brave man decided to challenge his um, seventh graders, to require them actually, because you can do that when you're a middle school teacher, um, to be what he called undercover agents of kindness. He had them all draw names. He was surprised to learn that some barely knew each other, even in this one class. And he said, be undercover until you're ready to actually perform this act of kindness for somebody, and then without spending any money, seventh graders, right? I want you to do something kind for them and he started seeing the results. He required them to give mission reports, like all agents. <laughs> I heard compliments exchanged about all kinds of things. Students I'd never seen together started offering to carry each other's books and musical instruments to the next class. This wasn't a secret, I mean, by this time they knew. I'm, I'm here to be your agent of, of kindness. Let me, carry your, let me carry your tuba, right? 
Um, hey, it doesn't say, maybe it was a piccolo. As the mission reports started trickling in, I read accounts of children studying together, inviting others to sit, to sit, to sit together at lunch, helping others put football equipment on at practice. Soon I began to see encouraging sticky notes on lockers in the hallway. Okay, my seventh grade experience would have been totally different if that's what I'd seen on my life. Okay, I just want to say. Batches of homemade cupcakes and bags of leftover Halloween candy made their way onto desks in my classroom, as did origami, inspirational quotes, and hand-drawn portraits. And then, being clearly a good and creative teacher, he called them together to ask, how could I improve this the next time I do it? Should I do it again? The majority of them said they'd like to repeat the activity, although some admitted that it shouldn't require a school assignment for them to be kind to each other. Well, it shouldn't require it for grown-ups either, but I immediately thought, how would this work in a church? <laughs> it's different. Um, we're a bigger group. We haven't been sitting in class together, you know, doing exercises together and everything for, for months or years. So the first thing is, um, if you picked a name of somebody else here, you might have to get to know the person to even know what would be kind for them. I mean, everybody likes a hello and a smile, but you know, if they have a really long work day and, you know, on Thursdays they really wish they did not have to walk their dog when they got home, then some, an act of kindness for them might be, hey, I'll walk your dog next Thursday, right? But you won't know that unless you have some conversation first. So we would have to ask each other, what can I do to make your life a little better? What would be an act of kindness for you right now? And we'd have to be ready to answer that question when we're asked it ourselves. What do you need? You really wish you had someone to go to the movies with next week? Do you wish sometimes you got a friendly phone call just to ask how your day went? Or if you picked the name of somebody who you knew pretty well, maybe a hug would just be great. There's so many acts of kindness, such as the ones I listed at the beginning. So I think we should do it. I'm not a seventh grade teacher, and you do not have to do this. There's an exercise for everybody sitting here not only for those who want to exchange it, exchange names. But you do have a piece of paper. Now, we, run, we ran short. So here on your um, insert, for a lot of us, if you have the insert, at the bottom there's a little tear-off sheet that has, it's very simple, a space for your name and a space for, you know, check off how you mo most like to be contacted and how to do it. You know, your text me, call me, email me. If that's not there anymore because we ran short and we have recycled ones, any piece of paper will do. It just has to have those two pieces of information on it. Your name, clearly written. How to contact you, clearly written. Okay, so we're going to do this, those who want to exchange it. And there are only three rules, all right? Secrecy is not one of them. No need to be undercover, okay? In fact, I think it's better if you're not. Why be sneaky? Just say, hey, I'm your secret agent. I'm your not secret agent. Let's, let me do something for you. So, um, which could be as simple as, tell me about yourself. Can I take you out for a cup of coffee and just hear about your life? You know. All right, so the three rules. One, if you want to take a name, you must put your name in, and vice versa. Two, you must make good on the commitment to be an agent of kindness in this person's life within the next seven days. So if you are drowning and you're not gonna be able to do it this week, don't do it, because, you know, it would feel worse to like put your name in and nobody gets in touch with you. 
If you can't do it right now, don't do it. And three, um, we're not seventh graders. It's okay to buy people something, but because we don't want this to be about money, don't spend more than $10. Go ahead and take somebody to a cup of coffee, but nothing more, okay? So if you want to try it yourself, we will begin right now. Please clearly print your name and contact information on that piece of paper or another scrap of paper. Tear it off, fold it in half, and line up here to the left. It will really, really help if we line up because we want to make sure all the little pieces of paper are in the basket before we start taking them out again. So if, this, if mobility is an issue for you, please pick a proxy to put yours in and pick one out for you. Um, we'll come around here, line up, and start putting your pieces in the basket, and then I will give you directions, lead person, but you're gonna walk around and back here and wait in line here for everybody who have done that, all right? Who wants to lead the way? Piece of paper and come around right here and line up by the basket. Yeah, it's best to fold it, I think. I don't know, I don't know why I think that. That way we make sure. Now come around to the left. We need you in line, so don't leave the line. Okay? Once you, wait, wait, wait. Very important. Once you have done that, Sam, I'm going to give you directions. Follow Sam after you've put your name in. He's going to bear left at the aisle. Take a left, Sam. Take another left. And come right back and wait by me. Okay, follow the line up the aisle. This is important. Yeah, because otherwise you won't get one back out. We want to make sure that everybody who puts one in gets to take one out and vice versa. <laughs> now. Okay, please make accommodations for folks for whom this is uh, this mobility, this much mobility is a challenge and or Start an act of kindness and ask if they want you to bring their paper for you. Want you to bring their paper for them. Okay? Now, something we can all do while we're sitting here or waiting in line, whether you want to participate in this week's exercise or not, is do some plotting for kindness. Take this time to think of five things you would like to do over the next few days that will help the world, like picking up trash, or help others, like being kind to somebody you encounter or that you already know. Just put one in for now. Don't take one yet. Nobody took one, right? You just put them. Okay, that's key to make sure. Now, I know the line's gonna back up a little, but we'll be good. Now, there's, there's two possible glitches to this. One is if you pick your own name out. <laughs> By all means be kind to yourself, but that's not what we're doing. So, um, so, so, so as you pick it out, look right away. If you got your own name, just put it back and take another one. Okay. The other glitch requires, um, it kind of requires an honor system by you. I hate to say that this could possibly happen in our beloved community, but you might pick the name of somebody you don't want to do something kind for. This is next level spiritual practice, folks. So I encourage you to hold on to that sheet if that happens. Just take it as fate. All right? 
Has everyone put one in who wants to put one in? Jerry, are you coming on up? Okay. In that case, Sam, come take yours, and now you can go on back to your seat. Check it right away, just to make sure it's not your own. Take another one if so. And that should have contact information on how to reach these folks. You don't have to report, just like you don't have to be secret, you don't have to report. This isn't a classroom, but I would love to hear about your experiences. I think that would be fabulous. And again, if you're not participating in this exchange, still think about ways to do this with others over the course of the next week. Now, when I say plot possibility acts of kindness, of course, most come along spontaneously. It's a matter of orientation, really. It's a matter of beginning to look for and notice opportunities to be kind. In other words, taking note of others' presence and what they might need. And when they've given you a friendly word or smile that calls for a response from you. We know how people develop that orientation. We know how to become more aware of other people. And that is by deliberately doing acts of kindness. So here we go. We're going to prime the pump and see what flows. Our community, our country, our planet is thirsty for the kindness that is deep inside each of us. Did you do this twice, Jeff? Yep. Awesome. <laughs> Jeff was at both services, and you want to do, do it twice? You will get double the boon. <laughs> the only other possible glitch is if the last person in line picks their own name, in which case I'll be their, I'll be their partner. We'll do something nice for each other. Are you, are you taking one for somebody? Okay. Great, thank you. Just make sure you didn't take your own two names, Marion. What are the chances? something I've been meditating on when as a sign I thought of what things I could do that would be kind and inspired by by the song that Lewis and Valerie brought us um, I have an elderly neighbor that I you know we chat and I do offer to do things for her um, and I find myself stymied because food is not an option she just has the kind of dietary restrictions that mean okay okay I'll make sure to get that for you. Um, somebody forgot to put their number, so I'm going to get it from um, And just having to sit and ponder this, I realized uh, a whole bunch of other things I could offer her besides having her over to dinner or bringing her food. Um, 
and specific ways just looking at her house, I imagine I could be of help. It's worth asking. I'll get this back to you, Jeff.